parenthetical passage sitting right in the midst of, of this explanation of many heroes of the Old Testament, the fathers of the nation of Israel, if you will. And, and this passage is, is just parenthetical, as I said, right in the midst of it. And speaking of Abel, and speaking of Enoch, speaking of Noah and Abraham, the writer to the Hebrews says this in verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. Verse 16, But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Pray with me if you would. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your sovereign care for your word, Lord, that you have preserved it down through the centuries, that what we hold today, what we're tempted to neglect today, are your very words, inspired by your spirit, authored by your people, to encourage your people. God, I pray that even now that we would submit to you, that we would submit to your spirit, Lord, that we would submit to your word and that we might heed what it says. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. As I was preparing this passage, there was one phrase that really jumped off of the page and, and it really kind of catapulted the message forward that I'm about to share with you. And it is a phrase that is found down toward the end of the passage that I just read. And in verse 16, the writer, inspired by the Spirit of God, said these words. He said, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. And that's a profound statement. That's a profound message. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. And as it stands, we could say true and amen and glory. And, but what really compelled me as I thought about this, as I read this and I studied this, that that must be said because the opposite would also be a possibility. There would be a possibility that people would call God their God and he might be ashamed of them. He might be ashamed of some that call God their God. And so, as it says, therefore he's not ashamed to be called their God. It, it leads us to look back and what we see in the verses preceding that are the reasons. Why is it that the Spirit of God would say, therefore, because of these things, I am not ashamed to be called their God. So what we'll see in this passage is it's just four marks of, of faith that pleases God. I, I contend that the opposite of being ashamed would be to be pleased. And I get that from the passage in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we're talking about the difference between a faith that pleases God and a faith that 
a shame, bring shame to God. Four marks of faith that pleases God. Number one, from the passage, verse 13, faith is faith that pleases is not just a possession, it is a position. Faith that God is not ashamed of is not simply something that is possessed, but it is a position. Where am I getting this strictly from the text? Verse 13, these speaking of of Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, all of those that he had spoken about before, these all died not simply with faith, but they died in faith. Faith was the position of these men's life. It was not simply something that was added to them that they adopted, but it was a position. They died in faith. What the writer is is talking about here is they had been given promises. They had been given promise of future generations. They had been given the promise of a future nation. They had been given the promise of a a coming Messiah. They had been given these promises. and, And the writer is saying that though they have not yet seen these things, they died in faith. We have the benefit of things that they didn't have, and that is we look back on the history instead of them looking forward, and we're able to see Christ. We're able to see His Spirit coming down. We're able to see the birth of the church. We're able to see that the nation of Israel did come to pass. We're able to see all of those things. But even though we see more than they did, ours is still a faith. If it is to please God, it is going to be a faith that is more than just a possession. It is going to be a faith that is a position. And that's an important theological truth because what God's word tells us is he takes something that is dead and makes it alive. He brings that out of darkness and into light. And all of these things speak of a positional change. The moment that our eyes are open to the fact that we are sinners, the moment that our eyes are open to the fact that our sin separates us from God, to the moment that our eyes are open to the fact that we are in a position of condemnation, God allows us to place our faith and our trust in what He has provided in Christ on the cross. And when we do that, at once and forevermore, we are moved from a position of condemnation to a position of redemption and freedom in Him. Our faith is not simply something where we are condemned people that that added on something, that added on this faith, and we go about with this new thing. No, we are changed we are transformed from a position of condemnation to a position of justification all at once we will continue to grow we will continue to bear the likeness of christ but positionally speaking at the moment of faith and at the moment of repentance we are changed 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 talk about this change. From now on, therefore, we regard no one to the flesh according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for God, for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Then verse 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. These all died in faith and God was not ashamed. Faith that pleases is not just a possession, it is a position. Second thing that we see from the passage still in verse 13 is faith that pleases God. Faith that God is not ashamed of is forward focused. I already mentioned all of the things that was promised to them. They were promised, especially Abraham was promised offspring. Even in his old age, he was promised offspring. And through that offspring was promised a nation to bless all of the nations, and and through all of that was promised a Savior. The faith of Abraham, though, it was forward-focused. The interesting thing is when you read of Abraham who moved, he moved from the land that he knew to a land that he didn't know, and it was the land of Canaan, the land that would be the land of promise. But he lived there not as the land of promise, but he lived in the land of of a future reward. He was never able to possess the land like the nation of Israel possessed the land. But his faith was forward-focused and they saw and greeted it from afar. Once again, we have the wealth of past history to give us hope for future provision. We have things to hope for in the future. If you would turn in your Bible over to John chapter 14, Jesus, in encouraging the apostles, his disciples, right before he would leave them, he, he, he addresses their concern. He addresses their, their, their fear for the future. What's going to happen? We have turned aside from everything and, and placed our life in following you. And what you're telling us is that you're going away and, and that we should continue. We are afraid. We are concerned. We are nervous. We are unsure. We, are, we need something from you. And Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 1, He said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and I will take you to Myself, that where I am, you may be also. The faith of Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham was was a faith that was not just focused on their immediate surroundings, but it was a faith that was focused ahead on what God had promised. Almost in spite of what their current circumstances might be. Faith that pleases God is forward-focused. 
Verse 13 there said, Not having received the things promised, but having seen them from afar and greeted them, acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. That brings us to the third thing about this faith that God is not ashamed of, is faith that God is not ashamed of is foreign to this world. The end of 13 there says, Having acknowledged them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, excuse me, strangers and exile on the earth. As I studied this passage, this is the one, this is the part that really kind of gracefully gutted me. God is so faithful to use his word to not just simply pat us on the back and say, oh, you're so good. But he also uses his word with the same amount of love and care and compassion to point out things that need not be so. Amen? God's word is faithful to do that. And in this section, he says strangers and exiles on the earth. As I study those words, I, I, I do this a lot when I read past a word that we might just simply kind of ignore and move on because the understanding is, is common and, and we might take it for granted. Strangers and exiles on the earth. A stranger. A stranger is somebody that is not of the culture. A stranger is someone with different mannerisms, with different customs, with a different language probably, with different habits, with different ways of dressing, with different ways of speaking, with different ways of addressing one another. A stranger. An exile An exile is a sojourner or a pilgrim, somebody who is simply passing through. And their home is not here. Their home is someplace else, but they are passing through and they're here for a time. And and they're a stranger. They're, They're different. They sound different. They look different. They act different. They're 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 different and and they're strangers and Exiles. A few years ago, I had a mission team to visit with our church to help us do our sports camp. And, and on the Friday of the week, we typically do a sightseeing venture. And we were in Yellowstone, and it was lunchtime, and we found some empty picnic tables together. There was about, I want to say about 15 of us. And so we lay out the spread on these picnic tables, and it is just good old North American gluttony. I mean, it was full. We had everything we could possibly carry with us and and we spread it out. And then up pulls this, it's one of those Mercedes conversion van things that you see in the park. And and an Asian man gets out and, and he walks down to our table and he just stands there and he, he looks puzzled. He's like this. I, and he sticks his hand and he's just looking over the table and he's looking at us. And, and he just looks at the table and he's looking at us. And, and, and I felt, quite honestly, like I was in an exhibit at the zoo. He was just 
looking at us. And, and, and as I was thinking about this passage and strangers and exiles, sojourners, and, and being the clash of cultures, one culture in the midst of another, this was the picture that I saw. He, he was obviously from a different culture, and he was recognizing the difference in our culture, and it stuck out like a sore thumb. And here's where that kind of worked me over. Because even as a pastor, as a Christian, as a minister of the gospel, I think sometimes we're a little bit more worried about whether or not we're able to blend in with a culture when what Scripture seems to suggest is that what would be right and good and just is for us to stick out like a sore thumb in our culture. Ranger, different mannerisms, different customs, different language. I don't want to be thought of as weird. I don't want to be thought of as odd. I don't want to be. Maybe we ought to be kind of like the Asian man, so clearly from another culture that there is not a possibility that one would be able to look on the situation and say, yep, they are just alike. Stick out like a sore thumb. Faith that pleases God is alien, is foreign to this world. John chapter 17. Jesus is giving us the high priestly prayer. I call it the Lord's Prayer. The other one that we call the Lord's Prayer is really a model prayer, and it's extremely helpful. But in John chapter 17, verses 14 through 17, Jesus prayed these words about his disciples, which by extension is you and me. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is praying, I think, the point. My followers are different. Over in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, the apostle wrote, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. Distinct, different. Different mannerisms, different customs. The old adage, I'm sure you've heard it. If you are on trial for being a follower of Christ, is there the evidence to convict you? And here's the caveat. I, it, in my little rule, in my little addition to that old saying is, take away what you do on Sunday morning. Take away your attendance to church and if you come to the Bible study on Tuesday night, take that stuff away, okay? 
we're on trial for being a follower of Christ, is there the evidence to convict us? Are we different? Do we stand apart from the culture around us? I hope that we do. I hope that that is increasing. Not that we would have disdain or dislike for those people in the world, but that we would not bear the marks of the world. Finally, fourth thing, faith that pleases God. Faith that He is not ashamed of. It's not homeless. It's not homeless either. Yes, we're citizens and and aliens, strangers, but we are citizens of a better country. This, the context is talking about Israel as they were promised a nation of Israel, the only nation that has ever been God's nation, by the way. The writer here is talking about a nation better than Israel. And though I love this nation, a nation better than the good old U.S. of A. Better than any other nation to ever have been or ever will be. Citizen of another nation. Verse 14 says, People who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Those of us who desire to stand apart, to be strangers, to be aliens, to be exiles on the earth, our citizens, we're not homeless, our land is another. And, and, and one of the things that I think about American Christianity is sometimes there's too much American in our Christianity. I love this nation. I am so thankful for those that have served and continue to serve. And I, I, I love being an American, but I think sometimes there's a little bit too much American in our Christianity. The color of our flag is simply red. By the blood of Christ. See, their faith pleased God because though they lived in Canaan, they longed for what would come, Jerusalem. Though you and I live in the USA, we long for the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. Let's go over to Revelation chapter 21. You see, there's a danger in us laying our hope in four in eight-year cycles, and that if our nation would just be improved and restored, then all would be good. And, and though we would absolutely suggest that, that it is a good thing to take part in voting and take part in all of those things, we, we do so without that becoming our hope for our future. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8, the same apostle. John is the theme, right, today? John says here, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first, first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Folks, no matter what president is next, or, or next, or next, or after him, and no matter how that goes, this earth is passing away. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the one, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Faith that pleases God is not homeless. Faith that pleases God, its home is in eternity with Him. He is our reward. take part in the voting and being a good citizen of this nation, but do so as a stranger, as an exile. We're only passing through, and even the best version of America would pass away to be replaced with infinitely better. I know here that I likely speak to a room of people in which vast majority would call the God of the Bible their God. He is my God. This is Him. The question that this passage that is before us today begs, would He be ashamed or pleased to be called our God? Is our faith about our position in Christ or is our faith about adding Christ to our already kind of okay life? Is our faith focused ahead or is our faith focused on what is immediately around us? Is our Faith, a faith that makes us look like a foreigner in a strange land, in exile, a sojourner just passing through. Does our faith have a home? I think it's a helpful passage. And and after this, the writer to the Hebrews goes on and, and he lays out basically the history of Israel from the first generation to be born under the stain of sin all the way to the New Testament. And the purpose, the meaning, the focus is to get them to examine their faith. You see, this is a people that was very, very tempted to rest in what they were able to do. They wanted to kind of reestablish the Hebrew way. They wanted to to depend on feasts and festivals and religious exercises and church attendance and giving for their justification. And the writer is saying, no, it's Christ. That's what Hebrews is about. Faith is 
in Christ. And it's an important thing. It is essentially what the world is looking for. The world is looking for a life with meaning. And it's the great existential question. What does it all mean? What are we here for? We've got, I don't know, 75, 80 years if we are fortunate. Maybe more. Maybe less. What is the meaning? What is the purpose? I think that based on Scripture, the purpose and the meaning of life is abundantly clear for those of us that profess faith in Christ. The meaning of life, the purpose of it, what we are to do with our days is to get to know our God. Is to get to know the one who has saved us. Is to grow in our knowledge of, of who he is. And simply to walk in light of what we learn about Him. Simply to walk in light of what we learn. To go out of this building or whatever it may be and to live a life that reflects what Christ has done in saving us. It's really what the world's looking for. And you and I, though they would tell us completely different, we have the answer for the only need that this world truly has. It is Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, your word that so faithfully encourages us and reminds us the good things you have done. Lord, we're thankful for your word that convicts us and directs our steps in line with you. Lord, I pray that you would protect us from even the scent of legalism. But Lord, that you would also draw us to pursue holiness We thank you for Christ who has made it possible. And Lord, I pray that if there be one person here who has relied and trusted on their religion, Lord, that they would call out to you for forgiveness and find relationship with your son. We love you and we praise you in Jesus name. And God's people said, amen. I'm going to call the two gentlemen to come forward that are going to help in distributing the elements of Lord's Supper.